happened in the 90s. When you rinse first with plaques, normal everyday brushing takes on a whole new meaning. Plaques, clinically proven to remove more plaque than brushing alone. Steve, we, you know, we have a smoke session beforehand. You know, a little inside business here for everybody, for all of our listeners, but... Um, we were talking about Boogie Nights and really just acknowledging that it may be a perfect movie. Um, if you don't like it, just, you know, suck it. Um, but we were saying about Don Cheadle possibly cutting his character out, but I feel like, no. Because it has one of the most memorable moments in the movie, like the end, like the donut shop thing. So that... Yeah. But I feel like his character, like that movie's kind of like shows you, it shows you a lot of things, but like no matter what level that you're in, in the porno business, it seemed like they were showing you that your life's going to be fucked up. And he's like one of the few that actually got out of it enough to, I guess, start his own, what was it, a radio company or like a, like a <laughs> electronic store of some kind? Yeah, he was going to start his own rent center yeah basically and he had like the cool like run dmc shit because remember at the end he's like filming his commercial and shit i mean ultimately i guess at the end a lot of those people they were showing him trying to like do better you know like um julianne moore's character was actually directing the commercial maybe she was fucking also but you know Dirk didn't die. He didn't get shot by fucking (laughs) the crazy crack dealer with the Filipino kid. He didn't die. Or the guy that wanted to see his cock. Yeah. I mean, again, this movie, just if you kind of just talk about it, people are like, what kind of fucked up movie is this? And it is a fucked up movie, but it's, I don't know if I would call it an unintentional comedy, but there is comedic aspects to Boogie Nights that if you're the right type of high, it just hits perfectly, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, and it also has some hardcore shit in it. It's hilarious. So my wife has an ass in her cock. Are you trying to give me shit? You trying to give me shit? <laughs> trying to give me shit, Kirk? Yeah. I just want to talk to you about the look of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Philip Seymour uh, Hoffman. I mean, fucking Punisher. What's his face? Uh, Party Boy. Todd Parker. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. The guy they get all yacked out with. The guy that goes crazy. Why the fuck did you go crazy, Todd? It's a star-studded cast, man. Julianne Moore. uh, Burt Reynolds. Don Cheadle. Uh... I referenced this Mock. book. What's that? Maki Mock. He's wicked smart. I think somebody said that Leo DiCaprio was actually somebody else they considered for this movie, which, you know, wow. probably, I don't know. I I feel like this is was built to be Marky Marks because it has everything. The naivety that he has as a character, usually. The, you know, also idiocy. He plays a good stupid guy, like a stupid guy that you want to root for basically 
And, and as much as I love Leo, I don't think he would do that role justice like Monkey Mock. Yeah. It was, and he was trying to fucking get into the big leagues. Like, he was just starting to act. He had fear. He got this. You know, I think people were starting to take him seriously. And like, for whatever reason, I, I feel like people have mixed reviews about this movie, but I love it. And I actually read about, like, I've mentioned this book a couple of times. It's called Rebels in the Backlot. And Paul Thomas Anderson uh, directed Boogie Nights. And it talks about him directing this movie um, and sort of how he came up with this weird script about pornography and the world of porno uh but made it like a great movie and it, it was weird like he um went to that sundance academy that they have the film festival for and everything but there's like an academy attached to that and they let filmmakers experiment and stuff <clears throat> and i guess they had a big vault of uh old pornos because they just you know they curate movies and he was watching like the old like film film reels like the real deal like you had to project this pornos and shit and like thought of a script based off of that and like the world that that weird like 70s porno 80s porno world so it's a very uh, unsung hero kind of deal with a lot of those people man um because this is before pornography was like a multi-million in dollar industry man it was still kind of like seedy uh oh yeah i mean this this was like uh vhs tape porno days like if when it came out so it was still like go into a weird corner of the movie store that was behind some curtains and look at some naughty movies type shit you know yeah the guy behind the counter looked like comic book guy and uh, the the, yeah. the people the customers like some of them wore trench coats and shit so it's like you didn't want to be seen or like known to have a porn like you were kind of like looked at as a scumbag but it's like dude uh, you check people's uh log history or internet history now shit don't feel out of place but uh something great happened over the week to your boy matt what uh, happened i, I got I got to see the Wu Tang Clan with special guest Nas and Busta Rhymes in no. a New York State of Mind tour. Yes. What? Yes. Well, there you yes. go. I always ask, what's the draw of living in a big city? Now there it is, right there. You get that. Damn. Bucket how was tight. that? How was that? Best show <clears throat> ever. It was great. It was phenomenal. Uh, and like the three of those, Wu Tang Clan, Busta Rhymes, and Nas. All three of them are headliners by themselves. So like the cool thing that they did was they alternated sets. You know, uh, they started off Wu-Tang, did a couple hits. Then Nas, he came on and he collaborated with them for a couple tracks and then he had his own set. And then Busta Rhymes did his thing. And, and what made that show so unique, you can't replicate that because like those three artists have a history of collaborating with each other so like Buster Rhymes can hop in a Wu-Tang set and do a track that he actually did with them and then they'll leave and then he'll do his thing and then like same thing with Nas and then Wu-Tang it just they had so many hits that they didn't cover uh like they had medleys where they'll do just like a verse or they'll just do the hook and then they'll go into the next song because 
if, if they did all of their shit, we would have been standing there for five hours. <laughs> Dude, just Wu-Tang alone or any of those artists, you could yeah. be there for five hours. Now, my question, I mean, one, I'm very jealous of you, but congratulations on getting to see that. What, how, was it the full Wu-Tang, like, that's available, or who was there? It was, it was everyone but Method Man, and I knew that beforehand. Uh, he actually made a post online explaining why he's not, uh, I guess, he's, uh, shooting for uh, that, what is it, that, um, not FX, but that, that star, that show on Star Power. They, they've had so many, like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah prequels and shit i think he's involved with that so he he could make it but i've already seen met the man twice um it still would have been great to see him uh and in place of odb his son they actually got his son lbb to come in and and do his parts man they did shimmy shimmy y'all uh the the ensemble tracks where all of them are performing he did the uh odb's part and yeah. he's got the same sound uh he brought his son out and that was cool, man. That's great. I haven't seen a good concert like that in a fucking long ass time. That sounds awesome. And I, I decided to not even take my phone out. Uh, for one, it was dying. I think by the time we got there, it was at fifteen percent. It was like, no, you know what? I, I'm finally going to just take it all in and enjoy the experience and not be one of those people just. I think honestly, <clears throat> and I I have a problem with that too, but. When you have to do that, or you actually do do that, you have a better time. You get to enjoy True, yeah. it, you know? You don't have to worry about shit, and you just get to watch some good shit. I, I do that, but I hate it. I wish I didn't have the reflex to be like, I gotta have a fucking record of this that I'm never gonna look at. I don't look at any of that shit. It's for everybody else. And I kind of, like, for some of those tracks, like, damn, I should have, like, used a snippet or something but like no nah, man that's something i'll never forget one of my favorite rappers of all time my favorite rap group well two of my favorite rappers and my favorite rap group um dude i i want to see him again so i mean it was worth it they the, the age hasn't fucked with them like some bands or anything it's oh, all no. just fucking a good that's fucking awesome to hear thank god and the beauty of it man it's wu-tang and like they had they have a younger following younger than us man people who have heard about them and like they look them up on youtube on spotify and stuff man and you know people born in the 2000s were there um that's like cool Wu-Tang though is- i mean thank god you kind of think like that doesn't happen like yeah it's like someday somebody's not going to know who the beastie boys are at all like maybe there's some kids listening to them but at least some people i mean that sucks. Somebody's not going to know about 311, Steve. No, well, see, dude, that I think it's different for rock, man. And and this is the thing I hate about hip hop. It's, it's always considered a young man's game. And so when a rapper turns 50 and he's a legend already or, you know, whatever, or even in his 40s, people are like, oh, no, he's wild. like, no, dude, this person that was good in their 20s, like, I like to think they got better because, yeah. you know, Marshall Mathers I know you're not big on him because Doherty ruined it for you but like dude he just he gets better with age Redman gets better with age Nas and uh, I I feel like they should be treated just like Rolling Stone like Rolling Stones is older than all of those people that I saw on Thursday 
and they still sell out Madison Square Garden and shit because it's Rolling Stones. And I feel like Wu-Tang Clan should get that same love. Nas should get that same love that Paul McCartney gets. And he's <laughs> damn near, he's an octogenarian. I always thought it would be cool if rappers, especially like Wu-Tang and shit, would just do like something where it's a it's two things where they'll like from their mouths tell you like a cool story from a time period for an album and then they'll do some song like the mike tyson thing but you add the, because they're musicians you put the music into it too you know yeah. i think that's eventually where because rat it's just hard to do like a lot of this shit's like intensity and stuff and i don't know you're right rolling stones they're fucking being kept alive with synthetic materials but they're alive and doing shows so you know it's just crazy out the longevity you're right though um so you're having fun i'm not but I'm you know it is what it is yeah, so you, that's good yeah you are Steph. you fucking lying <laughs> through your brawny shirt shut up steve uh, i'm about to paper towel your ass i'm about to make an appointment for uh charcuterie what was the name of that fucking place i don't know so i don't think so steve i don't think so steve sunday see the world with men on vacation our next stop was sweden best known for its beautiful buxom blondes hey in living color catch an all-new episode sunday bottom up. Hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Maggie with Happened in the 90s, the show where we talk about things that happened in the 90s. So get out your Michael Myers mask and your Timberland boots, because it's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. Instead of beatings, we get kicked. Instead of beatings, we get It's a hard knock life. Damn. Hitting that high note, Steve. Killing it. Damn. That's damn near Minnie Ripperton territory. <laughs> Shoot do do do. Shut up, bitch. Uh, today, my friend, we're talking about all things September 29th in the 999. Starting off in 1990, Saturday Night Live is airing their 16th season premiere with musical guest Sinead O'Connor and your host Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin, Steve. I mean, I don't remember this guy from anything but weird shit. Yeah, he's uh, was the guy David? Uh, he's like director? Crispin Glover Light, you know? Like he's he's a weird. He's probably a normal guy, but he's always in shit where it's like some creep pervert or you know like some weirdo it's just something weird or it's just a weird show because i think at this time he was in twin peaks so you know twin that's peaks. pretty weird uh and before that he was in the uh dennis hopper flick blue velvet oh well i think i've only seen that once but i remember it being isn't that a david lynch thing too yeah, he's one of those David Lynch muses. Yeah. He's he's kind of like uh, with, with Johnny Depp is the Tim Burton in a way. No. Uh, he's, he gets to be part of history because this episode, like you said, this is Chris Farley and Chris Rock's first episode. They get We get to see him a little bit. 
little just bit. a little but you know this is the start of it right here steve this is the starting to be the cast that is my favorite cast Norm don't let you nosedive on the first take. You know, he, he lets you get your feet wet just a little bit before you head all the way in. And uh, we, we start this episode off with the, the cold open of Dana Carvey playing George Bush. And he's got a, a State of the Union uh, addressed to Saddam Hussein. And, uh, you know, it's another one of his uh, Bush impersonations. Uh, you know, what was funny to me was Phil Hartman and Jana Hooks and Kevin Dillon in the end. And this is like uh, cultural appropriation, you could say. Um, and they're doing their both their best Arabian voices. And because <laughs> basically what it is, is George Bush is giving his State of the Union and he's, you know, he's shit talking Saddam Hussein and he's like, yeah. Saddam's a bad guy, bad, bad guy, not going to dead not gonna wouldn't be prudent and then they cut and these uh like al jazeera and uh news correspondents are like sort of doing what we do which is they're like, like nitpicking the speech a little bit and they're like this guy's crazy yeah. <laughs> you know like this guy's a monster but i can deal with him buddy you know it's a lot of that shit but it is funny and you get to see fucking dana carvey as george bush i i love that never gets old and then we do the uh, introduction and as you said we got uh, a new face mr farley and mr rock and uh, this is actually the first black cast member since 86 they had a, a four-year drought um and they hadn't had a black cast member since damon wayans had walked off on the set like while they were recording and um you know then we have the monologue from kyle mclaughlin and uh He's basically trying to say, like, addressing like what you said, like as far as like, man, he's a weird dude. Like, no, he's I'm, I'm actually like a normal guy. You know, I, I just act in weird shit. And then he gets a phone call from David Lynch because I guess he spilled the beans on who, who killed Laura Palmer. I guess. Yeah, because like basically he he he's like, I'm normal. So let me just like answer some questions from the crowd, you know. Yeah. And one of the guys is like, hey, is, are we going to figure out who Laura Palmer's killer is? And he's like, yeah, it's this lady that's from the fucking thing. You're going to find out the last episode. And he just does like the ultimate spoiler alert right on air. And then he's somebody's like, um, Kyle, you have to come to the booth. And he does. And David Lynch is on the phone. You're just irate, Steve. You can just hear it. Yeah, how, how could you give it away? And, blah, 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 blah. and you know, he comes back shitting a brick and he's just kind of like, all right, well, we got a good show. Uh, musical guest, Sinead O'Connor. Oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we get that and then we get to cut to a uh, new product. This is uh, one of the classic SNL ads. This is why I love the 90s. They would always do these fake like commercials and stuff. And uh, this one's Bad Idea Jeans, Steve. Bad Idea. <laughs> and it's just people that's showing people putting on jeans, I think, or just jeans. And narrated by people saying bad ideas. Like, now that I have kids, I'm a lot more comfortable having a gun in the house. 
That's what, yeah, that's what Mike Myers said. Uh, Kevin Nealon's like ripped up the floors, getting everything redone, uh, all in an apartment he rents. And uh, another guy, he's like, yeah, he's an ex-freebase addict, and he's trying to turn his life around. He needs a place to stay for a couple months. That was Phil Hartman. Yeah. Somebody else is like, I don't know the guy, but I've got two kidneys, and he needs one. Bad idea. And then it'll just be like, bad idea. And the guy who said that was Bob Odenkirk, who, who made a cameo. Hell yeah. So we get that. And then we cut to something that is one of the most weirdest sketches that I remember being a nor- like a regular thing. And it's Sprocket, Steve, the weird German fucking talk show that Mike Myers hosts. With Dieter. <laughs> Ba-na-na. Bam, bam. And in this special edition of Sprockets, they're having Germany's most disturbing home videos. Uh, And the introduction to Germany's most disturbing home videos is disturbing. It's a guy whose teeth, he smiles and his teeth start fucking moving. Like, how, how did, how? That is disturbing, Steve. And also Dieter constantly is like, has like a monkey that he's like, would you like to touch my monkey? And that's weird. And he's kind of flirting with Kyle McLaughlin. You are beautiful and angular. If you were (laughs) a gas, you would be inert. So then we cut to the video, Steve, and this is Germany's answer to America's funniest home videos, basically. And the first video was one fat man in diaper cavorting in sprinklers, Steve. And it's just a fat guy in a diaper running in the water. <laughs> um, the second video is one disturbing leaflets. And another man comes over to read them. And the stranger kicks the man in the junk. And Mike Myers or somebody's like, his agony is gorgeous. <laughs> so weird, dude. It All of these bizarre, are hilarious, dude. though. It's bizarre, but I found each video funny as fuck. But then they cre- like they literally cut to those two ones to another one, and the third one is literally like a, a guy's face with like decaying with ants on it, and it's I mean it's crazy looking. Um, but then at the end, like every Sprockets episode, Steve, they dance. And it's I am so full insane. of anticipation. My genitals have sucked up to my body cavity. And then we get to uh, where we see Chris Farley. And this is in the Twin Peaks sketch, which is literally basically a recreation of the show as I remember it. Just being filled a bunch of weird shit filled with the detective shit. Yeah, and uh, Kyle McLaughlin's character, he's trying to figure out who killed Laura Palmer. Uh, And he's told early in the skit that uh, it was Leo. Leo killed Laura Palmer. Uh, And he's just like, "Uh, we're going to go to One-Eyed Jacks disguised as Indians. Like, no, dude, we have prints. We have Leo's fingerprints and we actually have videotape. Uh, He's like, oh, I saw a hairless mouse in my dream carrying a pitchfork singing something about caves and then Leo, like, we're gonna go Chris check Farley. out the caves now <laughs> you know they're like no dude no 
and Leo, played by Chris Farley, he comes in and it like just this line to me is fucking hilarious. I guess you heard I did it. I'm ready to do my time. Get me a beer. <laughs> and the way he says it, it's just like fucking oh. <clears throat> and then uh Cooper still, he's got a confession, Steve. He's got a murder weapon, prints, video evidence, all it's all there. This is an open and shut case, but even now he's not he's not so sure. Then comes Laura's father, who's played by Phil Hartman, and he's like, Thank you for finding my daughter's killer. Thank you. But even after that, even after this, all, after everything, he's like, I, you know what? I don't think we found her. And Phil Hartman's like, oh, he sounds like Paul Bearer for a second. Um, but this is where they start to show like the weirdness because here's what I, I didn't watch Twin Peaks, Steve. I didn't. Yeah. And what I remember from the very small amount of like minutes that I saw just randomly, there was always like weird music playing, weird uh, just visuals in general. Maybe a weird midget would come out of a corner someplace and start talking backwards talk. Um, you know, and you get to see some of that in this. And I think it exhibits um, a layperson's view of what Twin Peaks was. Because this is what I thought the show yeah. was, Steve. They, they touched the bases and uh you know uh victoria jackson i, I guess she plays uh or she's replicating some part in the show and uh for a dumb son of a bitch i i swear she is a looker she she does that little thing with the little she makes a, a ribbon tie with her yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh yeah yeah. It's just a big glob, but she is hot, dude. She used to be, and she was like good at playing a ditz, like the the hot ditzy chick, you know. And they even went meta in this episode. Uh, Kevin Nealon says, uh, you know, there's only two women on SNL, and we've already used them up. So Jan Hooks, who had previously been seen in this skit, she returns as the log lady because uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that's what Kevin Nealon was saying. Like I, you know, you're not going to get to talk to the log lady. Um, so very meta and that's that's pretty much that skit um mm -hmm. and then we got our first performance by Sinead o'connor she performs three babies uh and as uh andrew dice clay the dice man would say that ball head broad what do you, what do you think of her Sinead o'connor yeah i mean i have no thoughts of her music at all to me this is something you would hear in like a dentist waiting room uh, i remember her ripping up the pope picture which would happen i think a couple years after this yeah um, it wasn't this one but no i mean you know i'm not gonna be, i don't really care it's just not meant for me I, i'm not out there listening to sinead o'connor and i can't really even remember any specific song because i think anything i would attribute to her is probably a cranberry song quite honestly steve the one track that i fuck with is nothing compares that shit goes hard in the pain i'm not gonna lie to you matt yeah i mean I, I at least the, at least the chick was out there fucking trying to say some shit i mean i whatever i don't give a fuck about the pope that's cool it's cool to get banned from some shit i mean you can say what you will about the message but whatever yeah, because here we are decades later the motherfuckers be diddling yep maybe she had a point steve Mm -hmm. She did, man. And uh, now we got our weekend update with our anchor, Dennis Miller, babe. Hey, Looks babe. like he cut his, cut his mullet off. It's not yeah. the 80s anymore. It's more business-like now. It's more 
the real or whatever his show on HBO was, the Dennis Miller show. It's more of that, you know. Keeping up with the times. But the thing that stole this show was Al Franken. And uh, (laughs) he's being interviewed. And Al Franken just has this gruesome ass dehydrated face. And he's just like, I I would cry, but my body can't produce tears. Yeah, he's supposed to go like do some war correspondence in Iraq, but he got lost. And he has all the equipment. He's got a satellite thing. He's got this crazy camera contraption. He has no water, Steve, and he's lost in the middle of the desert. So Al's in some trouble, but he's still out there doing his job. So that's pretty good. He tried, but he ended up collapsing. And then uh, by the end of this, a vulture is pecking at his unconscious <laughs> Yeah, face. he's like, you know what, Dennis? I mean, I'm pretty tired. I think I'm going to go to sleep. They're like, don't, don't do it. And it cuts, and then you're right. It cuts back. And I mean terrifying that he let a vulture snap at his face man yeah that's, that's the point crazy. of no return and uh our next kid is all things scottish our slogan is if it's not scottish it's crap it's crap yep this was a weird one steve but it can't it was a recurring thing too this guy's got a Scottish place. He's got a crazy bagpipe door thing that's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, he's not, he's not, um, he'll go off on you. He's got a temper, Steve, like a lot of Scotsmen do, I guess. Yeah, like just like Victoria Jackson, who came into the Scottish store looking for something with a leprechaun on it for her father. And Mike had to check her, like, look, that's Ireland. This is a Scottish store. Get out! And she's just like, Irish and Scottish are the same thing. And and Mike pulls out a map like, bitch, they're two different countries, two different (laughs) cultures. You better recognize the fuck out of my stove. And Kyle McLaughlin is this is Mike Myers son who is trying to work in this store. But the whole like the whole skit, they're like going back and forth because he doesn't want to take over the store. So like every time he says that. Mike Myers is like, you, you bloody killed me hard. Why? And then he says something about his mom or something. And he's like, I love ya. I love ya. <laughs> but this is funny, it, uh, dude. I love this skit. Yeah, man. Uh, this kind of prepared him for Shrek, I feel. He had a movie called So I Married an Axe Murderer. And like yeah. all Mike Myers movies, I mean, even in this one, it's more of a low budget thing, but he actually does like an Eddie Murphy thing and plays all of the, like his dad Side characters. and yeah. his mom and shit. And it's, he does this exact thing. His dad's a Scottish dude and he's just basically some cantankerous old Scotsman in that movie. That movie's fucking really good. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. It's pretty funny. I saw it a while ago. This was like way before Austin Powers and like this was after Wayne's World. So he was established. Um, But yeah, man, it's a hidden gem, I feel. Yeah, it's just a low budget. Like, you know, he was trying to get out of like the SNL thing and not make an SNL movie. And it's just sort of, you know, I think he's a... I forget what his profession is, but he gets involved with this chick and he starts becoming paranoid that she's like a murderer and there it and hilarity ensues steve basically and our next skit it's george and frank 
It's Dana Carvey playing George Michael and Phil Hartman playing Frank Sinatra. And Phil Hartman's Frank Sinatra is in fucking peccable. It's perfect, dude. If he would have lived, he could just keep going with Frank Sinatra's career. Let it to the moon. He just will go in and out of it. This skit is fucking weird, though, dude. This is a weird sketch. Um, it's just Frank Sinatra basically trying to take George Michael aside and school him in like maybe the the trials and tribulations of fame, I guess. Yeah, it's an unlikely pairing. Um, I don't think they would share uh, talking spaces in any scenario. <laughs> But at some point, he's like, you got the goods, kid. And he will go, he's talking to George Michael, and George Michael's Dana Carvey. And at one point, like, Dana Carvey's like, Frank, look at my butt. Look at my butt, Frank. Tell me my butt's good, Frank. It's just like, and he's like, something about his butt being alive or vital. I forget what he he says, but it's weird. My butt is so important to me. Like he's, uh, I thought it was funny when Frank was like, "I'm just a saloon singer from Hoboken, not a thesaurus." <laughs> You've got talent, not like that guy that plays Mark. That's a sweat act. Yeah, that's a sweat act. God, dude, Frank Sinatra back in the day, just I bet that guy was wild to hang out with, dude. But, I mean, uh, it's just crazy to watch SNL back then when they had Phil Hartman because just what that guy was capable of doing in sketch comedy was insane. Him and Dana, it's crazy him and Dana Carvey were on the same cast. You know what I mean? Like, it's wild. Because both of them are utility men. Like, you could put them in anything and, like, they can make it work because of their talent. I mean, fucking Carvey, whenever they had the one presidential race with Ross Perot and fucking George Bush, he was playing them both, Steve. Yeah. Because he's that good. And Phil Harbin's the same way. It might not be impressions necessarily. It's just characters. He's great at straight guys. Like, I mean, he's really good at anything. But since these two left, <laughs> yeah, that bitch, uh, fucking, uh, that's crazy, dude. It's one of the most obviously like Farley too, but man, what a tragic fucking thing to happen to somebody who from all, from everything I've ever heard, the only thing that was wrong with him is maybe he likes strippers a little too much and he liked pot, Steve. Phil Hartman. Yeah. Hell yeah. Sounds like my kind of guy. Exactly. It sounds like he was a great fucking dude. So, but he's great, man. And he's great in this. And his Sinatra is, I mean, I don't know if there's another person that can do it this good. No. I'm sure there is, but. And uh, after this skit, uh, Sinead O'Connor performs her second song that she uh, wanted to put out there was a shout out for the lady. This is for the ladies. And the song is The Last Day of Our Acquaintance. And uh, it's very forgettable. Uh, now, the the following skit, it was a, I believe, the two live crew. The episode that I watched, things were out of order. I don't think they were in their original uh, timetable. I watched the same a, thing you did, too. This is the order I saw. Two live crew party? Yeah, okay. hell yeah. <laughs> so this is Chris Rock's introduction into SNL world. And he's playing Luke Campbell. And they're performing at some function. 
And uh, something I found funny is uh, one of the guys into live crew is played by Akira Yoshimura, who was a award-winning Japanese writer. And like, it was funny because in the, in the actual two live crew, there was a rapper named Fresh Kid Ice and Fresh Kid Ice, uh, he was, uh, he, he was of Asian descent. So they get this old Japanese guy to play Fresh Kid Ice. <laughs> just like, you guys are Damn, fucking- that was like some third metal level joke that you saw, Steve. I didn't even catch that. I wouldn't oh, yeah. know that. And uh, he, so he, after Luke gets off the stage, all of these different people run up to him and suggest lyrics. Hey, you should put this in your next song. And uh, who was the first guy? Was it Phil Hartman? I got one for you. Do it. Do it in the butt. Do it again, my rear end friend. <laughs> and they're just, I think what this is, is like, this is a, a like a record exec party. And they're celebrating the success of the two live crew album so they're all like i love me so horny but it's all just like the whitest of white people that's what mike myers says he walks up with jan hooks and he's like oh my god mr campbell we love me so horny and then he's like honey do your song and jan hooks does like the white lady like politician rap and something is like face down but in the air and the bushes bust me there or some shit like that with but there's Myers a lot of boxing. like hey hey check this out luther you know it's a lot of that it's cringy but it's hilarious and i find it funny that mike myers is in this sketch acting like a cringy white dude and then he basically does he just his face in this at one point is the same face he makes when kanye west was next to him and he was like uh bush hates black people and he's like <laughs> fucking... that was one of the most greatest uh just guy out of his element moments that was ever caught on tv but Chris Rock gets, I mean, he's he's a centerpiece. You get to see him this whole sketch. I mean, he doesn't do a lot. Everybody else is the comedy, but he's here, dude. I love seeing this shit. And he goes on this spiel where he's like, man, people think it's just that easy. Hey, bitch, bitch here, lick, lick here. Hey, you know, it's more to it. I'm more involved than that. And then Kyle McLaughlin shows up and he shows up as a representative of the Florida Coalition Against Pornographic Art. And he says, I think your music is vile, hateful and disgusting. It has no place in a moral society. But as long as you continue to hide behind the Bill of Rights, I suppose there's no stop. So here's an idea. Bite my butt. Bite me. Bite me hard. Tear it off. Lick my blood. Lick it. Lick it. Lick it. Lick my butt. Blood. There it is. Take it or leave it. You worthless scum. And Luke is like, not bad. Let me let me write that yeah, shit. Yeah, let me get a pad real quick. I think his rep is like, here, do you got paper and pencil? Because you need this. We got to get this down. It's lick, it's lick my butt <laughs> with the glasses and the delivery. That's what did it. Just lick, lick my butt. Lick you know who I realize what uh, Kyle McLaughlin reminds me of? Uh, that is an SNL cast member, Will Forte. I feel like I they have that. like the same like facial features and shit, but I gotta say, Kyle McLaughlin, successful SNL uh, celebrity host. I I gotta give it to him. He did it. He did his thing. 
I agree, man. Especially for a premiere, a season premiere, uh, you know, you, you want to have a heavy hitter. And uh, it, it's surprisingly because he doesn't have a comedic background. So they, they kind of took a gamble on that, man. Um, but he delivered. And I think the final skit was actually the roadhouse. It, it was like a like a, a cowboy song. Yeah, it was called Lonesome Cowboys in the information. And it's just Kyle. It's like um, basically a little music vignette where Kyle McLaughlin is like with his wagon train team, a bunch of like cow pokes. And they yeah. get into like this old like ditty country music ditty about really just explaining the butchering process. You know, it's telling a cow he's going home to go to sleep get his head chopped off you know it's basically in detail explaining the butchering process for a good two and a half minutes of really melodic country music steve and at the end he reveals that he's actually katie lang so that was a, a slight <laughs> at, at the lesbian singer katie lang uh, <clears throat> having fun at her expense well uh that was that man uh season 16 of snl the first season of the 90s banger sinead o'connor is still in good graces at this point uh, <laughs> but also in 1990 it's the series premiere of widget the world watcher what you know about widget matt i don't know nothing about widget it looks familiar now that i'm seeing it but that it just looks they took a Smurf and tried to bastardize it in every possible way, Steve. This is like a snork type looking thing. Don't you do this to Widget. <laughs> Widget? Don't you fucking dare. Dude, Widget, Widget. he looking stupid, Steve. What is he, an elf? Dude, I swear, bro. Like, Widget was for the culture, bro. This, this shit came out. This shit came out two weeks after Captain Planet, and they had the same agenda, bro. They was here fighting pollution, fighting bad guys, fighting dirties. Yeah, but he ain't made a glass. He ain't a jack glass dude just out there whooping that butt, Steve. He's what is he? What is he? Widget is an alien that has come down from the sky to learn about humans with the aid of his sidekick brain. And they explore the world and educate kids on health, safety, emotions, and dangers, man. You know, he's here for the kids. That was us. I respect that. Was that. Us. And oh, he's got his little homeboy there with the I like that. His crew, his posse, man. Okay. I mean, what's up with the like the little three-eyed demons turtle thing, bat? What is that? Man, he sees the things that Widget don't see. He's like, man, oh, you missed that mother. That motherfucker was me, <laughs> yeah, Muggy. Yeah. I saw that shit. <laughs> he sees it. He's there to see what nobody else sees with that third eye. I get it, Steve. Wow. I mean, that shit looks trippy behind you. So maybe I need to just pop a acid fucking drop and go to town on some widget it just looks like that fucking just cheap generic fantasy 90s shit dude like uh this don't look cheap matt what are you talking about it's looking look at this it's looking dollar general-esque steve this is an exotic ass landscape that just takes you to a fantasy world and like i wish cartoons still did this shit those animators put time and effort and they toiled in those labs to make this shit possible. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry I took that nerve. So I'll, I'll retract my statement. I haven't seen Widget. I don't remember Widget. 
Because that I could see just being like a goofy character, but the fact there's like an environmental agenda to it, I don't remember it. So respect to the agenda, respect to the message, Steve. Widget, you're not a generic snork. I retract that statement. It was recognized as recommended viewing for children by the National Education Association. Nice. And uh, uh, Widget is voiced by the same actress who gives voice to Huey and DuckTales, Russie Taylor. Uh, so the voices are identical if you catch them. Wow, okay. Nice deep. Damn, you out here with these references, Steve. Man, I got time today, cuz. Uh, but oh. also in 1990, the last episode of Skate TV airs on Nickelodeon. Uh, this I'm only bringing up because this was hosted by a young Matt Diller or Matt Lillard oh. years before Scream. So he always had like that sort of skater punk. Wasn't he in a movie called SLC Punk, I believe? SLC Punk, yeah. So I see that. That's I remember this very, I don't know. Skating was just never my thing, Steve. I was fat. I got it. Gravity wasn't going to help me in my regard with that. So I just sort of tuned out to skating really until Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out on vi for video games. But and shout out they, Skate TV though. Nickelodeon out there before X Games, I'd like to point out. I was just about to say they they say they credit this as the X Games before X Games. Scissor me timbers. Now that following year, 1991, Street Justice premieres in syndication. Street Justice is an American action crime drama starring Carl Weathers and Brian Janice. The series began airing in syndication in 91 and was canceled in 93 after two seasons. I mean, anything with Carl Weathers, I want to watch just for just to see the biceps, but. Um, I, didn't, I didn't watch Street Justice. I didn't get a lot of opportunity to watch Street Justice, apparently. But, did, I mean, did, was Carl Weathers, did somebody just go, just keep doing curls, dude. If you just keep doing curls, we're just going to give you jobs, bro. Yeah. Just that one pose. I mean, that's Predator. That's that close-up when he fucking, him and Arnold slap fucking forearms. are like, Mac! And they fucking just, you know, do that bro handshake the same thing steve this guy's just been bodied the fuck up for decades he's probably Former still out there player. fucking somebody's grandma oh yeah dude it's fucking apollo bro and uh you know despite initially trying out a, a clean shaven look uh, I, I, as you can see he's got his baby face uh the producers insisted carl weathers regrow his mustache for the second season to be more in line with his familiar look um, Plus, yeah, you're a cop. A I mean, you gotta have a fucking mustache if you're a cop, Steve. That just comes with the territory. Word to Carl Winslow. Oh yeah, word. To, I mean, didn't you watch fucking Super Troopers? I mean, it wasn't out yet, but I mean, that's part of it. You become a cop, you grow the mustache. Even if you ain't got one, you gotta grow it. Porn stash. Uh, somebody who probably didn't watch Street Justice when it aired in 1991 is probably Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, and Kurt Cobain because Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit debuts on MTV's 120 Minutes. It debuts? Like this was when it came out or? The video itself, man. Uh, the actual album, never mind. It was released five days prior on September 24th, 1991. And uh, it smells like Teen Spirit. When it when it debuted, even the host of 120 Minutes, he did not realize the impact that this video, this song, would have on the decade. 
Yeah, I mean, really it must be music. wild. <laughs> There's probably like radio DJs like, here's a new one from some band called Nirvana. <laughs> These guys aren't going to last. <laughs> like, they caught them on a hot mic or some shit. Like, Jesus, Jerry. Your finger's not on the pulse. <laughs> Maybe they'll play a couple affairs or something, but they ain't going to last. <laughs> oh, man. This shit is forever like Wu-Tang. It's wild, dude. I, I mean, I had this. I feel like when we were growing up, when this came out, at a certain point, it was almost like a required CD that you had to buy. You know? You just had to have it. So. You had to. You, you had to add it to that Columbia House uh, selection of 12. I mean, you was, didn't have it already. It's one of the first CDs I ever had. Because it... Here, this is what I remember. There was Soundgarden Super Unknown, the Forrest Gump soundtrack, which was a double CD that was just like classic rock hit. Every All the music that you hear in fucking Forrest Gump. Uh, fucking Offspring, the one with the skeleton on the, the one. You Smash. Know, Smash. 311, the self-titled. And I think fucking this, Nirvana. Never mind. There was another one that I'm missing. There, there was just another one I remember just being... Oh, the Fugees. The score? <clears throat> yeah. I, but I'm telling you, I think I got all those in one, like, my that first batch of Columbia House you get that's real fucking cheap. That was the batch I got. Man, I probably still owe those motherfuckers. I mean, hopeful. I mean, if there's like some sort of interest rate on the debt I owe for them, that's probably what's keeping my credit down. Because, yeah, because I mean, at a certain point, it's like I'm. A, I, I got Notorious B.I.G., Adam Sandler CDs, whatever, Jerky Boy CDs, and you're sending me fucking the Eagles' greatest hits and shit. Like I'm, I don't have the time to send it back. I'm gonna keep it, but yeah, fuck, I don't want to spend the twenty dollars on this bullshit. And by the way, bitch, you said this shit was a penny. Yeah, that's what the I have a I have the thing from the magazine, guys. I filled this out. It's just crazy how stupid the technology was. You filled out like a Scantron form, sent it in, and they just fucking hooked you up with a bunch of CDs. Like, what was the business? Who was the genius that came up with this dumb fucking business, Steve? Uh, it's the '90s. They don't read fine print. Give me another hit of Coke. I'm, give me a blast of Coke off one of those CDs over there. <laughs> now, also in 1991, My Own Private Idaho premiered in theaters. Two best friends living on the streets of Portland as hustlers embark on a journey of self-discovery and find their relationship stumbling along the way. Directed by Gus Van Zandt, starring River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves. <laughs> this sounds... This was just not a movie that... I checked out, Steve. I remember this name, uh, but I've never seen my own private Idaho, Steve. I want to see it now that I'm grown and mature enough to appreciate good cinema. And by all accounts, it's a masterpiece. Uh, Gus Van Zandt, he's no slouch on the director side of the game. Uh, River Phoenix, man, he, he was considered uh, a modern James Dean. Uh, he was doing hits since he was a kid. And he just had it. He had he had the was it the chutzpah, chutzpah, whatever. He had it. I mean, he was just a but he was gonna be a he was a star. 
I mean, he was already a star, but it, like you said, I mean, it just fucking unfortunately came to an end before it should have. And his brother, it's crazy that him and River or, uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix both even like what was going on? Who was the acting teacher? Because I mean, River Phoenix, he's a sexy guy. He's fine. But Joaquin's a good actor, too. He's got the fucked up fucking cleft palate shit. And he's an, a killer actor. Who taught? Well, who was the acting coach? Because we got to find that guy. I feel like the best entertainers come from strife. Uh, just look at the Jackson family. They got their asses beat for getting a fucking... T- <laughs> having being fun. Off, yeah, being off one beat. Man, you haven't tried to have fun. That guitar out of tune. Cheeto, get your ass out of here. Get down these stairs. And like they... They kind of had like a flower child fucking beginning. They kind of had like some fucking like Jim Jones. Like they were kind of like a cult thing, not a cult, but yeah. like that kind of like off the grid hippie shit where it was like, mm, this could be a cult, but you know, I don't think there's a lot of fucking, you know, it's not like crazy, like Charles Manson shit. That's why his name's River. And many yeah. members of the cast, including River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, and Flea from Chili Peppers was in the movie. Uh, they stayed at director Gus Van Zandt's large house in Portland during filming. And they apparently caused such a disturbance, staying up late, getting drunk, partying, playing music, and overtook the house to such an extent that Van Zandt eventually had to move out of his own house and stay with a friend in order to get some sleep. Damn. I guess you got to get the movie done, but... Damn. Come on, Keanu. What the fuck is going on? I mean, the parties they must have been having, dude. That must have been some wild shit. And uh, Keanu Reeves actually rode his motorcycle from Canada to Phoenix's hometown of Gainesville, Florida, to hand deliver him uh, the treatment for my own private Idaho because River Phoenix agent wouldn't give it to him. He just refused to. I mean, I don't remember this being like a great movie. It just has great people in it. You know what I mean? And people love Gus Van Zandt, but I don't know. I guess I, maybe, I, maybe now that I have a, a, a more maturity in life experience, Steve, I might uh, enjoy my own private Idaho. Maybe I'll check I it think out. It's, I think it's one of those coming of age films. Oh, <gasps> God. Maybe Kendra's watched this then. She loves that shit. And it's also the first feature film role of Jim Caviezel. Good old Jesus himself. JC, dude. Fucking coming back. He has risen, dude. That guy. Is he Jesus, Steve? (laughs) I don't know. He was in Saving Private Ryan. Was he? He wasn't. Caviz? Maybe. Well, he pro- everybody in Hollywood at the time was in that movie, so maybe he was. Pretty sure he was. But in 1992, September 29th, Stone Temple Pilots released their debut album, Core. It's 53 minutes and 39 seconds uh, with releases Sex Type Thing, Plush, and Creep. I'm Mr. Scott, Scott Wilder, Steve. I'm all fucked I up. Am, I said I want to get next to you. I said, I want to get next to you. I know you know what's on my mind. I know it eats you up inside. I know you know what's on my mind. I know you know, you know, you know. 
I mean, STP, dude. This is another legendary fucking band of the 90s. And Scott Weiland, I mean, one of the most committed drug uh, drug addicts of all time, too. This guy was just sticking to the fucking script, Steve, literally. Sticking to the injections, man. And, like, (laughs) dude, it goes back to Bill Hicks saying that our best, our favorite artist, real fucking high on drugs. And, dude, like, it's more than just... How many time, How many cycles of he's on drugs, he's out of control, he's in rehab? Because I remember he would come out and be like, hey, guys, I'm cool. I'm good. I kicked it. I don't need it anymore. Hold on one second. Oh. You know, it just kept happening, but he kept delivering. And was it, what was that other band he was in? Velvet Revolver? Was he part of that? Velvet Revolver. Yeah. So he got... I mean, he got into the 2000s, I think, right? He got into the noughts. He got into the 2010s. See, I mean, the motherfucker was doing like, that's what, but see, that's where I question, like, what was the Rolling Stone guy? What's that one guy in Rolling? All of them, but the one guy. Yeah, like what, how did he make, is he the one exception where it's just like, it's not gonna, he can't be killed? His, I think he revealed his secret, and it's like a, a pack of cigarettes and uh, uh, some bourbon or some shit like that. So He's got that like, old lady diet. You know, when they interview, like, those old, like, 105-year-old bitches, and they're like, I had a case of Dr. Pepper and a uh, pack and a half of Marlboro Lights a day for my whole life, and that's what I did. And then they stop, and they die. Then they croak. Yeah. So, I mean, Sky Wyland... He flew so close to the sun, Steve. You just couldn't make it anymore. But he was a bad motherfucker. I wish I had the confidence of a Scott Weiland because he was always like half naked, gyrating, sweaty, just looking like shit, but still like chicks all over him. You know, it's because it's because of the confidence. It's you know, exactly. I wish I had that. I I don't. I'm not crazy like ugly, but I mean that guy was not crazy beautiful, and he was just out there just fucking uh d reynoldsing it on stage and just getting it just Steve. exuding sexiness man yeah, where, yes, he, he, he he had like that dennis rodmanville where it's like i'm not the most attractive motherfucker but i swag. love me i'm beautiful bitch <laughs> swag I'm free swag yeah bitches gravitate to that shit. uh but also in 1992 september 29th was a great day for music allison chains releases their second album dirt 57 minutes, 37 seconds. Um, if you're going to get an Alice in Chains album, I highly recommend this one. Uh, it's the one with Wood. It's uh, Them Bones, Angry Damn. Chair, Rooster, Down in a the Hole. They've come to snuff the rooster. Yeah. Damn. You know, we're gonna die. Dude, that guy, I don't know what it was about that band, but as soon as I heard that, they became like my favorite band. And that was when like Soundgarden was big, Offspring. As soon as I heard, it wasn't Rooster. I forget what it was, but I just remember hearing one Alice in Chains song and being like, this is it. I'm Man good. in the Box. No, fuck. It, there, it was in the album with like the three-legged dog on it. And I can't... I'd have, yeah, I'd have to like look into it. But man, they're just... Lane Staley was just a bad... All those dudes. What's the what's the guitarist guy's name? Jerry Cantrell. Yeah, dude. I mean... 
And you said they're still, I think you said this, they they actually have like a version of this band that it's just, it's good. Like they got a guy yeah. to fill the shoes a little bit for Lane Staley. As long as Jerry's still here, the, the band's going to keep rolling, man. And uh, once again, we're talking about a, a heroin at addicted uh, performer, man. Um, man. You know, Great music. Like, what does junk do, though, Steve? Like, what does it do where you can, like, come up with this crazy, fucking amazing shit in the midst of all that? Because it don't right, look that much fun to me, dude. Bubbles in the wire didn't look like he was having a great time. Nah. Uh, I mean, you know, being addicted to anything, it's got its downsides, man. But fuck, you write masterpieces like Nevermind and Dirt. It's crazy. Core. And just be like, it, it, I just cannot imagine being like high gacked or whatever out of your mind. I remember I just watched recently. They had, like, I think I even said about this, like they had another um, Woodstock documentary about Woodstock 99. Yeah. But it was more about like the behind the scenes and stuff. But anyway, in the midst of that, they um, have Jonathan Davis from Corn sort of talk about just like his experience about going out on that stage that night and just like the insanity of being in front of a crowd like that. And I was like, put on top of that, because he sort of talked about it a little bit, but just alluded to it being high out of your mind and being like staring at a crowd just like rolling around i mean allison chain saw that so at some point lane staley's just fucking ripped out of his fucking mind like holy fucking still spitting that shit out that's crazy to me dude that's the song steve that's it yeah that's on this album no that's that is the song then you're right my bad that's how the album starts Hell yeah, dude. I feel so alone. Good enough to think about them Hell yeah. I'm gonna put this this is definitely going on the workout mix. I I've been listening to corn a lot. This is getting they're getting replaced. Sorry, corn. R.I.P. Lane Staley. But in 1993, Home Improvement is airing the Season 3, Episode 3 episode, This Joke's For You. Tim installs an intercom at home, but is hurt when Randy calls him a goofball, and the show would be full, should be full-time. Tim tries to change on the show. Meanwhile, Brad reads David Copperfield to impress a girl, thinking it's about a magician. It's not? Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, dumbass me. I was like, shit. Apparently not, Steve. It's not about him fucking disappearing some shit. It's about some other guy. But anywho, um, this is a like when I think of Home Improvement, this is an episode like it might not be one I remember specifically, but this is a great episode. This is fully encapsulates what makes this show awesome. The 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 feel, the, the, yeah. the feel is recognizable. It's yeah. They're in that rhythm. Um, you know, if we start it, it's tool time everybody's favorite part of this show and tim is doing his shit he's always trying to up the power up the man the man shit and they're talking sawhorses steve which are just you know little things to put wood on to cut and whatnot but tim as always he's got a better one fuck a fuck a regular sawhorse he's like you know what al 
give me a second. I'm going to go get my sawhorse. So he leaves Al just out here. And Al's like sort of swimming. He's not used to being in front of the spotlight. Um, and he tries to start giving like a speech about his first sawhorse, Steve. Because like any rugged uh, plaid wearing gentleman like himself, I'm in honor. I'm wearing this in Al Borland's honor. Um He's like, this is, you know, the, the tale of my first sawhorse. But as he's t- starting it, Tim comes out. He's got a motorized, or motorized sawhorse, Steve. Of course, per use. I mean, this thing, he said it can do 140 on the highway, which I, what's the point of this? Yeah, and it's a good thing he's not on the highway because Tim can't control this shit. He ends up driving the fucking motor sawhorse into one of the cameras. Yeah, it was right in. And it starts like, also, I forgot, they'll just put like little Looney Tunes-esque shit uh, on him. Like he hits the camera and he gets the little birds, Steve. He gets the little birdies in his head, I think. The little animations. <laughs> then cue that badass theme song that you hate on. I swear. Dude, who was getting the who was the just the fucking guy slashing in the guitar, dude? There's one guy that was just like that signature 90s fucking slash. Fucking laying the licks down. (laughs) And uh Tim's having problems installing this intercom. It's not working properly. And Randy comes into the house with his friend Jeremy, who is a very familiar face. Uh it's That's goo. I, dude, I knew that one was fucking goo. I wrote it down, but I just was like, I didn't look it up, Steve. That's goo. Mm. Yeah. Hell if yeah. You know, Lay that know. goo punch, bitch. Goo punch. Everybody. <laughs> like Jimmy Lee Newman, uh, you know, strictly for my 90s ninjas. They, they wouldn't understand, man. And they come into the house and they watch Tim struggle with this intercom uh, before heading to Randy's room. And Jeremy asks, how do you blow up an intercom? To which Randy replies, you don't know my dad. He broke the dishwasher, the blender, and seven toasters. And Tim corrects him. It was two blenders and five toasters. So they're upstairs in Randy's room, and Tim's messing with the intercom. He can finally get a signal. And it's picking up in Randy's room. And Tim overhears Randy and Jeremy's conversation. Jeremy wishes his dad was as funny as Tim. Randy says, no, you don't. My dad's a total goofball. Have you seen Tool Time? They need to call it full time. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he does like a little adolescent t- Ted DiBiase. Just like, man, <laughs> fun at my dad's expense. And Dude, he's got to do it, like, but I mean, what a, Tim's, he doesn't handle this like an adult, Steve. I mean, it's a kid cracking on him, but that hurts a little bit. But full time, you haven't heard that yet? You haven't heard that one time. That's, that's the go-to, Steve but from his own kid motherfucker i shot you out you could have been a stain on my gym sock motherfucker <laughs> this full time this full mean, time is what's keeping these lights on and that's his emotion steve he hears that and he's like oh he just like turns it off um and then you know we cut brad comes in and he's talking to jill and brad's uh he's got a book He's, he's got David Copperfield, and Jill's like, Brad, you're an idiot. Why are you reading this good book? Um, basically something like that. And he's like, oh, it's this chick. He's in junior high now. And now with junior high, these girls are getting a little more sophisticated. Steve, I've got a little more sophisticated taste. So 
um, in line try. with that instead of like ripping a fart or you know doing some fucking armpit fart noises to impress you got to pick up a book so he's like i picked up uh this charles dickens novel david copperfield and jill's like wow you know like i said she's like that's a little isn't it a little advanced for you and he's like i i'll figure it out i mean how bad could it be it's just about like the last time this guy was on TV, he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. So this is going to be awesome to read. And Jill's like, hey, yeah. hey but I mean, Not the like we said, Steve, we didn't read this. Who's David? Get the cliff notes, dog. Yeah. It's not about the motherfucker that performs in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, wait. Charles Dickens wasn't alive 10 years ago. Damn. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I looked this shit up. It's 624 pages, Matt, in the first book's edition. Fuck that. Yeah, and it's not even, it's not like you're reading fucking, uh, like a Stephen King novel. This is like in that Shakespearean, like that old, it's not like that, but it's just in a language that it's not realistic. It's, it's classic. You know? And the child wept. On the shores of the Atlantic, you know, it sounds like David Attenborough should be reading it. And we're, t I'm dumb, Steve. I'm a meathead. I'm a fucking, I just have glasses. That's why I look intelligent. But Brad, like me, is not intelligent, but he's trying to, he's trying to up his game. He's trying to get that woman, Steve. He likes this Jennifer. I've been there. You gotta, you gotta do something. I don't know about reading a book for a bitch. I mean that you got oh, that's a free fucking you go to the library Steve all you got to do is check a book out do some reading I mean it just depends you know it's a, if it's a tinder date maybe I'll read a far side if it's maybe my future wife maybe I'll pull a Charles Dickens novel it's just you know it just depends but Brad you, this is a junior high romance I don't know if I go to these links because you can't fake it you can't fake the funk Steve 624 pages I wouldn't read that now let alone junior high. I mean, Jurassic, is it Jurassic Park or so? Is there going to be a death or a murder mystery in this? What is going on? Is David Copperfield fucking the, doing a bank heist? What's the story here? Because if not, I can't do this. But Brad, to his credit, like we said, meathead kid, um, probably not going to be the Harvard grad of the family, but he's trying. Jennifer's a, obviously a cool chick, so salute to Brad. Um, Tim walks in and he's fucking with the intercom still. The there's some issue with planes fucking the reception up, but what really is fucking the reception up in the room is Tim's just fucking it, Brad or Randy is living rent free in Tim's head at this point. He just can't get out the fact that his kid was cracking on him behind his back, and he tells Jill yeah. straight up. He's like, "This fucking piece of shit kid's fucking out there talking full time, full time." Cracking jokes in front of his friends at my expense. What kind of guy makes jokes at other people's expense? And Joe's just like, uh, maybe we should ask Al. He's like, no, that's different. That's different. Like, you know, he I give, he takes, and he likes it. And there's no other way around it. He appreciates it, and it makes for good TV. <laughs> goddammit. it. But this is different. We, we, me and Randy, we joke with each other all the time. But this is behind my back, and I don't appreciate that. You're my son. He's talking about how I always screw up at work. 
Joe's like, well, motherfucker, you do kind of do this every episode. Uh, and then, you know, cut back to Brad's bromance or romance. Uh, he's determined to read this book and he's in junior high. So you can't just throw frogs and worms at girls now. You actually have to have something to say. And, uh, you know, Tim, coming back to him, man, he's had enough. And he's going to just check Randy. He goes into his room and he's like, you know, well, first, Randy has this little smart thing. He's like, if you wanted to call me, why didn't you use your intercom? Or is that still picking up ambulance calls? <laughs> yeah, dude, it's just fucking up. He might have actually caused like maybe a plane crash if this thing's fucking with the communications like that, Steve. And he basically admits to Randy that he heard him through the intercom cracking on him. He's like, dude, what's up with that? And like, and I totally sympathize with this because this is how this was my tact, and maybe it wasn't as righteous as uh, Randy's. But if somebody, my mom or dad, said, uh, "I heard you and your friends talking on the phone or something," I would immediately be like, oh, "I can't believe you would listen. You, the trust is gone. It's gone." He was talking to his friends about something about lollipops in the asshole. And I just don't know what's going on with our boy, George. George, I don't, he's on the hashish. I don't know. Something is wrong. He is not he was a laughing. boy anymore. He's laughing about getting dusty. I don't know what that is. What the fuck? So, um, you know, Randy really is just like, hey, dude, fuck that. Like, you listen to me. Where's the, like, why do I have to not crack on you? I was just making jokes. And Tim's like, you know what's a joke? Uh, your freedom, you're grounded three days for being a bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, two times, Tim, put food in your stomach, put clothes on your back, you ungrateful son of a bitch. And also, now with all this communicate like conversation, now Tim's in his fucking head because he's like, Man, am I fucking just a joke? Am I a joke to these people? I need to fucking pick my game up. So now he goes back to tool time the next day, they're shooting, and um. He's trying to institute all these, like, he's trying to be professional, Steve. He's trying to be uh, Tim the professional man, Taylor, and not the tool man. You know what I'm saying? No um, jokes. Any, I was like, you know, you're not going to pick the manual uh, fence post digger, or you're picking the manual digger over some power tool. And Tim's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's the safer bet. And I was like, yeah, but what what are you talking about? What's the deal here? And then Tim, being professional, starts sort of this avalanche in Al's head where he's questioning everything. And eventually, he's like, "You, so he's like, oh, oh, it's fine. You're gonna make a joke out of me, huh? Let's just get it out of the way, Tim. My mom's a fat pig, or some like shit like that." And he just plays himself, Steve. It's My mom's a big fat cow. <laughs> And this is all becoming because Tim's like, I can't, I'm just, I can't make any jokes. I fuck my kid. I mean, I, I'm not a fucking joke, but I'm Bob I'm Vila, doing. bitch. I'm better than Bob Vila. I'm serious so, business. So, I mean, this is, you know, it is what it is. Al played himself. Tool time. That's the episode of tool time. We cut to Tim in the backyard now. And this is the uh, quintessential Wilson, Tim, over the fence, just rap sesh, Steve, where Tim sort of uses Wilson as a some sort of armchair psychiatrist. He goes over his problems, whatever he's going through. 
And one thing before we get into the conversation that I've never noticed, Steve, um, I was watching this and I noticed that on Wilson's side, if you look behind him, he just has a board that has dead squirrels pinned to the board in some kind of psychotic like diorama thing that's above his like tool bench. And I was just like, you know, maybe I wouldn't talk to that neighbor if I saw that. Maybe the fence is too high. I don't know, but kind of creepy, Wilson. What the fuck? Maybe that's where he gets all his answers and becomes the Zen neighbor. (laughs) He does those satanic ritual. Those are all the the, uh, satanic sacrifices I made, Tim. That's how I get all this knowledge from the Dark Lord. You need to be better to your kids and your wife, by the way. He, he's got nothing but time that Wilson, because I don't I think he might be retired. So, you know, he, he has days dedicated to squirrel hunting. Yeah. And Tim's like, listen, man, like, I don't know what to do about Randy. He's he's roasting me on the daily and I my psyche can't take this. This kid's making great points, cogent points. And I can't ground this kid for a year because he's telling me I'm a joke. And uh, Wilson's like, you know what? You got to look deeper, Tim. Well, let's think about this. And I think at one point he, he says he found like a fossil and he's talking about like the past and stuff. And he's like, think about being Randy's age. He's like, Randy's rebelling. Did you ever rebel against your father? And Tim's like, well, I didn't actually get the chance to because my dad died when I was 11. And he right. Wilson's like, hmm, how old's Randy? And Tim's like 12. And Wilson's like, huh. So, you know, you never got the chance to rebel you don't have that experience but that's what's happening now so maybe you need to face that and understand maybe that you're just having some problems because you never got to do that with your father or something like that and that is basically the answer tim's like oh damn i didn't even think about that Um, but the way wilson broke it down he he has this uh yoda uh way of philosophy he says parents are the bone on which children sharpen their teeth when a boy is young, he worships his father. And in order for the boy to become a man, he's got to start seeing his father as a fallible human being and stop seeing him as a God. And that registered to Tim. Oh, ah, 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 ah. I'm yeah. not a God. I got to talk to my son. It was easier when he saw me as a God. Though. Yeah. And then he walks in. So he's, he goes right. He's like, damn, Wilson, thank you. And that's this is how it always happens, Steve. Tim fucks up in some way. Wilson gives him an answer, some sort of insane, like metaphysical explanation with, you know, philosophical notes and all this. Tim walks into his house. Jill's like, what's going on? He's like, I got to go tell uh, Randy I'm not a god anymore. And she's like, "Uh, okay. And then as always, Tim uses the knowledge in a good way, but he can never relay the message. So he's like, Randy, I want to talk to you. Um, you're going to want to sharpen my bone on your teeth. And, um, you know, you're at the age where you're knowing that I'm not a God. And Randy's like, are you a high? Yeah. Are <laughs> you, you on, on that nose candy? Is this real Tim Allen? Or is this the fucking, <laughs> is this Daddy, the show? Do you, do you still have that stash from when you were arrested back in the eighties? Have you been dipping into that? Is that, uh? is that that real Colombian? Uh? But he gets the message across and he's like listen randy i know i can't ground you but you can't you can't be fucking saying this shit to me but he explains to randy like you know i never got a chance to sort of do what i'm doing you're doing to me with my dad but you know i i get it you know 
you're an adolescent, uh, you're rebelling, yada yada. And Bra- uh, Randy's like, you know, what was the one? Because I think Tim's like, yeah, one time though, I did get under my dad's skin pretty bad. And Randy's like, what'd you do? And he's like, oh, is this the first time my dad ever let me uh, play with the butane torch? And Randy's like, what happened? And he's like, I got to ride in a fire truck. And we had got a new garage. So apparently when Tim was like nine, he burnt the fucking house down, basically. So. And we skipped over the part. Uh, before Tim goes upstairs to Randy's room, uh, we find out that Brand got dumped by Jennifer. Uh Brad says she's changed. She's now into reading and classical music. When he met her, she was into cool things like clothes and hair. And, uh, you know, Jill, she actually liked Jennifer. She's like, you know, I kind of missed her. Like, you know, (laughs) and Brad's just like, well, you want me to call her over so she can dump you too? And um, Oh, and also, Steve, during that conversation, we kind of find out that I don't think Jill read David Copperfield. She was all like sort of judgmental to Brad. But when Brad's like, what happened to Aunt Betsy or whatever? She's like, hmm, I don't I don't know. And it's like, you you didn't read that shit. You didn't read that. And also reminding back Jill, she she lets uh, Tim in on a secret. Uh, she says that, you know, Randy acts just like her when she was that age. And uh, she never forgets when her mom called her this stupid nickname that she hated. Uh, she called her Jilly Dilly. And you better not tell anyone outside of this conversation, Tim. And he's like, uh, I gotta then, mention so, it on tool time. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, Randy, they have their father son moment and they have a truce. I don't want you making jokes about my job anymore. All right. It's the shit that keeps the lights on in this motherfucker. Uh, and so Randy's like, so what can we joke about? Mom. Deal. I like that. And that's it, so, Steve. That's it. Tim, and like, he's he's a good dad, Steve. These kids yeah. are a fucking bunch of fucking assholes, and he's still maintaining. He's doing that thing. And now, rocking that fucking plaid fucking joint like a true man, Steve. Steve I Dalboy. think so, man. Remember three men and a baby? Good night, sweetheart. It's time to go. Now they're back. Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson. Raising a five-year-old takes some fancy footwork. Three men and a little lady. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. Also on that same day in 93, September 29th, Grace Under Fire premieres on ABC. Grace is a recovering alcoholic, now divorced from an abusive husband, struggling to bring up three children on her own. And uh, we've talked about the the series finale of this show some time back, uh, but here we are, the premiere. And I think I watched this because it was coupled up with Home Improvement. Steve, I want a pack of Marlboro Lights and a man that can please me. I'm Brett Butler. It was I. My mom watched this. This was just another white trash family show. It was a, a True Value Roseanne. Um, but uh, fun fact: the Sprouse twins. I didn't. Even, I watched this and didn't realize that was them. They they played uh, the kid, one of the kids of Brett Butler on the show. And they got the guy from fucking Newhart too. I mean, they, you know, I remember there was some moments in this, but again, yeah, it was just like, oh, you like Roseanne? Please watch this. And Dave no. Thomas, man, from SCTV. There you go. Fucking 
was a couple of hitters in there. I remember like a lot of bowling was in there. It was just like white trash shit. But some marbles. Yeah, you know, it's like fucking have a pack of smokes, smoke a butt, you know, maybe drink some fucking warm temperature natty light and fucking enjoy the show, Steve. Why not? go to the local hangout gas station and uh, that same day in 93 a bronx tale premiered in theaters a father becomes worried when a local gangster befriends his son in the bronx in the 1960s directed by robert de niro starring robert de niro chaz palmentary lilo Brocato jr terrell hicks and joe pesci banger Chaz Palminteri, dude. I mean, this guy was just, he was built to just be a mobster in movies. This guy's a bad fucking dude. I love it. I didn't realize he wrote this. This was his story. This was fucking De Niro's story, Steve? Well, De Niro, this was his uh, directorial debut, but Chaz Palminteri, this was actually about his life. Um, it's well, maybe he is a gangster then. Maybe I misspoke. Damn, I didn't know that. Because the, the character's name is Caligero, and Chaz Palminteri's real name is Caligero Lorenzo Palminteri. Um, several studios approached him to purchase the film rights with at least one offering $1 million, but he refused to sell them unless he could write the screenplay and play the role of Sonny. None of the studios agreed as they wanted to hire another actor, and then Robert De Niro offered to go into a 50-50 partnership with all of Palminteri's conditions met as long as De Niro could direct and play Lorenzo. Palminteri agreed, and their contract was sealed on a handshake. Fuck yeah, dude. See, that's, that's old school shit, and I love that. And I also love Chaz Palminteri. It is, I mean, and all, that makes the movie even that much cooler. I had no idea about that, because it's not one of my go-to mafia movies, because I feel like Goodfellas and Casino, you know, like the Scorsese movies, I, those are my go-tos, but this is a good movie. And the other thing I love about Chaz fucking Palminteri is I feel like of guys of his like caliber and his reputation, he actually has a fucking sense of humor and he'll be in like comedic movies too. He was in A Night at the Roxbury, I think. You grab my ass. No. Do you want to? No. Should I? Uh, but, you know, I just... Chaz Palminteri, you're a bad fucking dude, too. He is a fucking straight gangster. Apparently he is, too, because this is actually about his fucking life. That's insane. Yeah, man. And uh, that following year, 1994, Halsey, or Halsey, the American singer, is born. Skinny white lady. Um, That's all I got to say. <laughs> But, uh, you know, she's mixed, which I didn't know. Ashley I didn't Nicolette Frangipane was born in Edison, New Jersey, uh, the daughter of Nicole and Chris Frangipane. Uh, her parents dropped out of college after her mother discovered she was pregnant with her. And Halsey's mother now works as an EMT. And her father is uh, mostly African-American descent with some Irish ancestry. And her mother was Italian and Hungarian. She's a beautiful woman, that's for sure. I don't know a lot of Halsey songs. I think I've there's one that's on the radio a lot, but yeah, I mean, hey. She's been on SNL before. Another gorgeous uh, that, woman born on this earth, so. 
I'll look a lot of puss. In 1995, The Big Green premiered in theaters. Uh, a teacher on exchange from England is placed in an underachieving Texas school where she coaches the students in soccer, improving their self-esteem and leading to unexpected success. Directed by Holly Goldberg Sloan, starring Patrick Renna, Steve Gutenberg, Olivia Diabo, and J.O. Sanders. Yeah, I mean, this had the great Hambino in it, Steve Gutenberg, and... Uh... You know, this was a thing. I, I didn't, this wasn't one of my favorites. It was just like a Sandlot vibe, a fucking Mighty Ducks vibe. You know, an underachieving team does good. It's like the uh, Bad News Bears of soccer, basically. But they're hicks. Yeah, um, none of the actors knew how to play soccer except for one guy. I mean, but that's perfect, though, because the movie's about kids learning to play soccer, so that probably played into it a little bit. I wonder if they got progressively better as they filmed, you know? And this was also the first live-action Disney movie directed by a woman. I mean, shout-out to Big Green, dude. I, this was another... I saw this in the theater. I checked this. I think I own this shit, honestly. Yeah, the goat it had steve i don't you know you just bought i bought fucking movies steve i that didn't just did. start in college so yeah i got um, the funds yeah let me I why it. not steve we're at target right now we're at fucking kmart buy me this fucking dope ass movie mom did you ever buy a dvd because you liked the cover knew nothing about the movie because i feel like you've had to yeah. at least once definitely yeah uh that move i mean for sure the way of the gun but it but wasn't, it was just, it was because of what I, like, it wasn't like the art on the movie. It was just like me looking at it and being like, oh, okay, this description sounds pretty dope. I definitely did that a couple of times. But yeah, I mean, I, I foolishly bought a lot of shit too. So, I mean, you know, that, that came with the good and the bad. But every once in a while, you get a good one or like a movie that you wouldn't necessarily check out. I remember Jet Li did this movie where he had like a dog collar on. And he was like a caged animal in it that this, that Bob Hoskins was like a, a gangster and he would sick him on people. Forget what it was called. It sounds stupid, but it like that's an example of a movie. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I don't this sounds stupid, but I'm gonna buy it. And I bought it and it's really fucking good. I can't remember the name of the movie right off the top of my head though. Marijuana affects the memory. Oh man, weed tray. But in uh, <laughs> that same day in 95, Devil in a Blue Dress premiered. An African-American man is hired to find a woman and gets mixed up in a murderous political scandal. Directed by Carl Franklin, starring Denzel Washington, Tom Sizemore, Jennifer Bills, and Don Cheadle. I don't remember this. It sounds like a little it's... too adult for me at the time. Like this didn't, wasn't so. Now I see that though, maybe I have seen this exactly it's kind of like what you said about uh canadian bacon when you go to rental stores and you would always see that i would always see this and like i never watched it it's it's denzel in 95 so i mean the acting couldn't have been bad it's got don Cheadle. yeah and sizemore was killing it in the 90s too i'm sure this movie's good as fuck you know another movie though i was laughing about that's like a movie you saw and never watched do you remember ever seeing a box for a movie called soap dish it was always like a VHS and there was just like yeah. multiple boxes of who was in it. And there was some stars, but I never, I just remember that always being there and being like, okay, let's get past soap dish. It was an ensemble cast, but like, I do remember that like with, with due respect, like the, the stars on that movie, I, 
it didn't make me jump like individually they don't make me like oh i gotta see that the such and such is in it but like it was a combination of all of these people that i kind of like hard pass on but it's like you put them together and it still doesn't get a result but you'd still like there'd be movies like that though where it was like unexpectedly just a real like man i'm just remember that movie men of honor that had de niro and fucking um cuba gooding jr and it was about like diving it was it was like a historical movie where like uh cuba gooding jr was like the first black like deep sea diver in the military of something like robert de niro was like a racist teacher and shit i'm just saying like that was another random movie i bought that it was just like oh wow this is classic and there was no reason boy, for it but it happened yeah <laughs> gonna get in that water boy that's boy, a, that's it getting that water and it's just Cuba Gooding jr like t- getting tortured by shitty white dudes for like the whole movie and becoming the greatest like deep sea diver of all time and i also remember there's a part of it where Cuba Gooding Jr., the, whoever he's playing, gets to like the height of his career. And then there's this tragic and very gory uh, accident in the movie where like an anchor falls and like cuts his leg off. It's crazy as fuck. But wow. it's a good movie. Again, sometimes you need that's what I like about um, streaming, but I don't like because there's too many options. Whereas like when you would go to like Myers, and just look at the DVD rack. It's like, okay, well, here's the new shit. I'm going to give that a shot today. And fuck it. It's 20 bucks I lost, but whatever. But you, because you blew 20, you were obligated to watch that motherfucker at least once. It's and different. try to like talk people in being like, yeah, dude, this fucking movie's tight. Check this out. It's like, this movie fucking blows, dude. And finally you're like, yeah, it blows. But hey, it made my uh, DVD collection bigger, you know? <laughs> so. Cause- Cause that's really you trying to convince yourself, like yeah, this yeah exactly. Movie's great. Oh yeah, it's a shitter. <laughs> and, uh, that same day in '95, Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers premieres. Six years after Michael Myers last terrorized Haddonfield, he returns there in pursuit of his niece Jamie Lloyd, who has escaped with her newborn child, for which Michael and a mysterious cult have sinister plans. Directed by Joe Chappelle, starring Donald Pleasance, Marianne Hogan, Mitch Ryan, and a young Paul Rudd in his film debut. I've seen this for sure, but this was like, you know, my I feel Halloween just jumped the shark a long time ago. At this point, it had jumped the shark. They involved a cult, like you said. Um, I don't remember being particularly like amazed by this. I was more into H two O that had like Busta Rhymes in it and shit, where he busts fucking Michael Myers in the ass. Uh, but you know. Shout out to Michael Myers stabbing people since 1980 something, 70 something. Like, the the cat, most of the cast and crew disowned this movie. Uh, they argue to the point of ridiculousness, which resulted in a barely poorly uh, directed and edited film. Uh, they they debated with the studio producers, and they were just nitpicking. Uh, take this out, take that out, and you just got just this incomprehensible film. Yeah, and it, it got complicated because that happened too with like Friday the 13th and uh, the Freddy Krueger franchise. It was like, it was revolutionary when it came out, which made it popular. And it was it was good. It was fun. It was enjoyable. But then they just kept trying to make reasons for it to happen. And in this case, you know, it just got convoluted. It's a very simple plot. And they just had to figure out these dumbass ways for it to keep going. And this one was just a miss. 
It's like, just fucking do. I remember one Jason movie where I, I remember even as a young kid being like, I respect that because it's stupid, but it gets the movie going where Jason, it's a rainy day. Somebody digs Jason up, lightning hits him. He's alive again. That's it. That's all the explanation you need. You know, you don't need all this crazy shit. Yeah, supernatural me and don't explain shit. Because when you explain shit, shit gets boring. The motherfucker's yeah. just strong, all right? He's just really strong and he, he can catch up the motherfuckers even at a slow ass pace and they're running. That's why I like yeah. Chucky. It's just like, yep, he's back. We don't really get it. I mean, he's just a demonic soul baby and, you know, whatever. So he's, it's done. He put his soul into another kid. It is what it is. Fuck it. And now he's married. Yeah, this bitch kills people too. Uh, but in 1996, the Houston Astros retired Nolan Ryan's number 34. Bam! Again, we talk about this man. I mean, this guy's been, uh, we just saw him last week. This guy was whooping somebody's ass in his last season. So he needs to be retired into the like fucking boxing Hall of Fame, apparently, because he was throwing them bows, Steve. I mean, you can't replicate this kind of greatness, man. Like, we were fortunate enough to see this guy uh, on his last leg of his career, man. And, uh, you know, he was still getting those no-hitters. Um, and he was that old-school, like, tough guy from that doesn't exist anymore. He's like one of those greatest generation people where he's like, yeah, fuck it. I got my leg got cut off. Fuck it. I walked it off. Fuck it. <laughs> Put some tussin on it. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel- I feel like this is the equivalent of Arn Anderson on the mound. Hell yeah. Hell without the facial hair, but with same swag and attitude. He's like, he's one of those old guys where he's just like, I'm going to whoop your ass. Cause I'm, I, I'm, I'm fed up. I don't need it anymore. I don't need to hear this. And I might steal your grandma from your grandpa. <laughs> if he's still alive. I don't care but, if he is motherfucker. <laughs> I'm Nolan Ryan, bitch. Shit, seven no hitters, bitch. Count them. Yo, 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 Paul, Paul ever had a no hitter? Huh? Has he ever been on a pitcher mound? No. Swag. But that following year, in 1997, Roy Lichtenstein, American painter and sculptor, passes away. Uh, he was born in New York City uh, in 1923, and he is among that crew of Andy Warhol and, and that crowd um, back in the 70s, man. Uh, you might recognize his style of art. He did this kind of shit. It's like pop art. Pop art. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think he has a museum uh, dedicated to him or, you know, I think he does have a museum. But yeah, I like that shit, dude. I love that kind of shit. Yeah, uh, his paintings are exhibited at the Leo Castelli Gallery in New York City. And uh, he died of pneumonia on September 29, 97 at New York University Medical Center, uh, where he had been hospitalized for several weeks, uh, four weeks before his 74th birthday. Damn. Fucking pneumonia, dude. It's crazy. Shit can kill you. I've had pneumonia so many times. You're just like, yeah, I had pneumonia. Fuck it. Apparently that shit can just fucking murder your ass. Dude, like, I... I don't know how that works, man, because, like, obviously it kills people. So you said you've had it a couple of times. Uh, Yeah, dude, I got it uh, recently, like, before COVID. Like, literally, you know how, like, COVID started in March 2020? Yeah. I got it January of 2021 or 2020, basically, like, right the month before, because I stopped going to work because I kept getting sick from somebody at work. And for me, if I get pneumonia, because I'm immunocompromised, like that shit will kill me. 
but just in general it's like i think really what it is is you know we've done this because we're broke or you just don't want to go to the doctor you avoid doing it and your lungs fill up with fucking fluid and that's what pneumonia is it's just your lungs you're basically drowning but you're not in water or anything it's just filling up with snot and shit yeah so yeah i mean that's crazy though and that dude's fucking uh he was like a legendary it's crazy when you hear like rich people and stuff like you'd think you can get that taken care of no fuck yeah man if you're immunocompromised man hey i'm telling you dude it was almost a blessing though because i it made me not have to have the conversation about going back to work because of covid i just have was like you know what i'm not i can't come back to work because i can't keep getting sick. i would just go to sit you know you work in a place like an office building you hear a cough across the room and in like a week that shit has migrated over onto your side of the building and everybody's just getting sick because nobody would not come to work because they're not you know they're, you have to go to work because we're all broke so yeah you got got to pay the bills man exactly and, uh, and in 1998 felicity premieres on wb a young girl fresh out of high school follows her high school crush to college to be near him you know what they should have called this show was a loser ass bitch how fucking dare you what are you trying to teach them <laughs> Like, oh, I have no aspirations. I have no goals or hopes or dreams. Oh, what a dumb concept for a show. I never watched it. Any dramatic shit like Dawson's Creek or whatever, any of that kind of shit, I have never bought into it. This was another one where it's like, oh, this is on Flip. I know that's not the song, but it might as well be the song. Might as well be. It sounded pussy enough. Uh, but on that same day in 1998, I'm, I'm telling you, Matt, September 29th was a great day for rock and rap. It was a great day for music in the 90s because in 98, Outkast released their masterpiece, Aquimini. Damn, Yeah, Skew It on the Barbie, Rosa Parks, The Art of Storytelling Part 1. <sighs> I miss Outkast, Steve. I miss it. Well... As Big Boy said, my, my homie little, did a little bit of acting. <laughs> dude, but dude, Big Boy's kept killing it. And this album is just, I mean, legendary. Is this your favorite? Uh, dude, I mean, it's hard to even pick a favorite. AT Aliens was my first like album that I got of theirs. And I think just because of the nostalgia of that one. And it's, I also think the artwork is my favorite artwork on a rap album of top 10. But... I think AT Aliens is actually my favorite, but this one is it's as good, if not better. I don't know. It's a nostalgia it's, thing. It's ranked in a lot of greatest albums and lists and all of that, man. And it's not just the releases, the album cuts. There's this one track called Spotty Oakley, Spotty Adi Spotty Adi Dopalicious, I think is Spotty. what it is. But that shit is good as fuck, dude. That shit is a good smoking song. The fucking I mean, even when they did that double album that was that one of them the big boy album and the andre 3000 side like the two speaker discs, box i love below i love that shit dude they were and they're it's just crazy they had two guys that on their own could have been just insanely successful musicians in their own right and they came together and it was fucking amazing. It sucks it's not still there and they don't tour or anything, but um, man, 
fucking killing it. I like to think as long as they're alive, there's still hope. It's got to happen. I mean, it just has to. I, I've seen stuff where it's, it doesn't even seem like there's any sort of real, they're not saying anything. I mean, there, there's been a few things said, but I feel like we it could happen. Andre 3000's getting there. And I mean, Big Boy's been fucking murdering it anyway. He still does shit. He's still, he's still with Sleepy Brown putting out Dungeon Family shit. It's what the people want. Dude, just so many successful artists that came out, and then Killer Mike and stuff too. It's crazy. Future, Goody Mob. But on that same day in '98, a tribe called Quest releases their album, The Love Movement, with releases Find a Way and Like It Like That. Uh, the only reason I'm bringing this up, uh, this was the last Tribe Called Quest album during Five Dogs' life in life in Five Dogs' lifetime. And Five Dog, he was like the second in command behind Q-Tip. Um, it was a concept album exploring the lyrical theme of love. It was a continuation of the group's previous album, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, featuring minimalist R&B and jazz-oriented production. And I listened to a bit of it before we recorded, man, and it's so smooth. It's It's got Q-Tip and, and Five Dog just spitting, man, just being MCs with some fucking just huxtable music in the background what do you mean by that like just like jazz and shit just playing just like smooth jazz type shit like it's it's hip-hop but it's like a jazz infused hip-hop beats damn dude i need to this sounds like something i could definitely get into now dude i've been listening to a lot of shit like that it's like slower it's not i listen to like shitty like aggressive trap music when i work out but it is nice to get high and listen to some like old school like soul music and shit. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, R.I.P. Five Dog. Uh, and also in 98, Black Star releases their yeah. album, Most Deaf and Talib Kweli are Black Star. 50 minutes and 11 seconds with the releases Definition and Respiration. Um, I didn't get into Black Star too much, but I love both of these MCs a lot, especially, dude, Most Deaf to me. He's one of those guys that I don't think gets credit for being a guy who can do a lot of... He's just a great entertainer. He's a good actor, dude. Multifaceted. He and is. if you like Jackie Brown, he actually was in a prequel that was an unofficial prequel where he played Samuel L. Jackson's character and somebody else played the Robert De Niro character as younger gentleman in a movie. I forget what it was called. It wasn't that great, but they continued that story. So... He got to do that. He got to carry on that legacy. And I, I hate to, we're going to talk about Black Star, but that movie 16 Blocks he was in with Bruce Willis, that movie's Muted. that shit. Muted. No, I'm not. I can see myself. Can you hear me? I don't know what happened, man. Can you hear me now? But no, most Def's a, a bad motherfucker. But I never got into Black Star that much. I don't know why. Um, same thing I said about the Tribe Called Quest album, man. It's, uh, I mean, if you're familiar with these guys, they they're going to be specific about their beat production, and it's it's kind of it's melodic. It's kind of got some jazzy flavor to it, man. But the song that I like the most on this album, Brown Skin Woman. And I think you would appreciate it too, man. Uh, they're they're doing harmonies, and the beat is beautiful. The the title of the song, Browns, it's beautiful. Oh, um, yeah. And the, both of these guys, essential MCs. 
uh, not just from the 90s, but just for decades, man. Uh, but also in 98, something I definitely bought and listened to still to this day, Jay-Z releases Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. It went on to become his most commercially successful album, selling over 5 million copies in the United States. Um, people knew about Jay-Z from Reasonable Doubt in Volume 1, but this is the one right here that just took him to the mountaintop, man. It's the same one with Jigawood. Can I get a what, what? Hard Knock Life, Money, Cash, Hoes. Uh, that Jermaine Dupri song at the end, like Money Ain't a Thing or some shit money. at the end. That shit was fire too. Dude. Yeah, dude. The, this was the this was it. I, there was a couple of Jay-Z albums, but this is the one. I, I, like I said with uh, that other album, you um, or the Nirvana album, you had to buy this. You had to. If you're going to buy a Jay-Z album, especially from this time, it, like this is the one it's this is it i mean this i mean all of them are good dude i for whatever reason i've been listening to uh, and we talked about it recently um that movie soundtrack it's the the denzel movie um american gangster Training. okay yo yeah that soundtrack dude. dude jesus christ it's so fucking good all hail jay-z he deserves all the fucking all the success he has and he's still like you know what i like about jay-z now he's just living his goddamn life steve he'll release a song every once in a while maybe with beyonce maybe not but this dude's just fucking rich and just living that lifestyle so i respect that i love that this album was set up to succeed man the producers swiss beats stevie J. DJ Premier, Timbaland, Irv Gotti, Eric Sermon, Rockwater, Kid Capri, with features from Memphis Bleak, Jermaine Dupri, The Locks, Beanie Siegel, Sauce Money, Ja Rule, Emil, Too Short, DMX, and Big Jazz. Yeah. Oh, the oh, Rich, your day turn. But he won a Grammy Award for Best Rap Album, and uh, he boycotted the nomination or and the ceremony, citing that he sees the Grammys continuing disrespect of hip hop because they were not going to broadcast the rap nominations. He told MTV, I'm boycotting the Grammys because too many major rap artists continue to be overlooked. Rappers deserve more attention from the Grammy committee and from the whole world. If it's got a gun, everybody knows about it. But if we go on a world tour, no one knows. I don't know. I, he's right, but make that money. Don't give a fuck about those awards. Those awards are fucking stupid. Boycott the awards because they are an unnecessary. Re it's just somebody making a shit ton of money for getting a bunch of people in a room together. It's stupid. Yeah. Fuck the Grammys. Any callbacks, come shots, or honorable mentions? Good, sir. I'm going to call back, Steve, to something I keep mentioning over and over again. And now I can tell you definitively it's easy to watch. I've been telling you to watch Bulletproof. I keep telling you, Steve, Adam Sandler, Damon Wayans, fucking goddamn the guy from Godfather. I can't remember his name. Uh, he's the whatever. Um, it's on Peacock, Steve. And I saw it the other yesterday and I watched it during the day high. And while there are some nitpicks I have maybe about just some of you know it's a little cheesy it's hilarious and uh it's easily available now so god damn it watch the shit 
if only no to watch Damon Wayne shove a gun up Adam Sandler's ass and hilarity ensuing. It's hilarious, Steve. Well, well you had me sold, and then that happened. <laughs> what about you, bud? Oh, man. Well, a lot of things happened on September 29th, as you know. Uh, something that I wanted to call out in 1991 in Living Color, they had this skit with uh, David Allen Greer and Damon Wayans. They're doing a play off of the uh, Who's On First uh, old okay. bit. And, but instead of, uh, was it not Lauren Hardy? Who was it that did Who's On First? Uh, I thought it was Lauren Hardy, wasn't it? No, uh, it, it wasn't those guys. But anyways, uh, David Allen Greer plays Al Sharpton and Damon Wayans plays Louis Farrakhan. And this, the bit is Jews on first. And <laughs> Damon Wayans tells uh, Al Sharpton, the regular manager of the baseball game is sick. So you need to get familiar with the players' names because some of them are strange. And he said, I'm down. That's right. I'm down and sick. So you'll be taking his place. Say what? Say what's over in right field. So who's on first? No, Jews on first. Says who? The owner, Whitey. Whitey's on the team. That's right. With Jews on first, the man on second, Mr. Charlie at shortstop, and it's a conspiracy at third. <laughs> Fucking, oh man, great shit. And then uh, men on film, they do, they end their cliffhanger where Blaine becomes hetero. And, uh, you know, David Allen Greer, he basically has to slap him back into being gay. And, uh, <laughs> So that shit was funny. In 92, Full House is airing the episode, The Long Goodbye. And uh, Michelle, she has to say goodbye to her friend, Teddy. He's moving all the way to uh, Amarillo, Texas. Uh, I guess to hang out with his boy. Oh, Terry Falk. But that same day in 92, we got hanging with Mr. Cooper and we get a crossover because Michelle comes to play with Mr. Cooper and them. And uh, she brings her buddies uh, Journey Smollett and Michael Miko Hughes. Uh, boys have penises, girls have vaginas. Nice. So they, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Uncle Jesse has a cameo in this episode of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Uh, but also in 98, Home Improvement airs the episode Adios. So we talked about an episode that featured Randy, uh, good old JTT. Adios in 98, that was his final episode. Uh, the purpose of the episode was to write Randy out of the show because Jonathan Taylor Thomas no longer wished to appear on the series. Because like, he was ah, just dumb. getting too much money, Steve. And pussy residue. It's all uh, there. But, and, and finally, this is my last one. In 1999, Drew Carey show airs the episode, Drew Goes to the Browns Game. Now, around this time, the Browns just came back from a three-year hiatus, and Drew, he's trying to get into the game. His girlfriend, Sharon, she buys him a big screen TV, but she can't watch the game with him. And Mimi, she calls it out and says, maybe this is guilt getting at her. Something's up. She just buys you a big screen TV and gets out of town. So... Uh, Drew and the gang, they go to the Browns game and they catch Sharon kissing a guy on the big screen. And the whole time, Drew finds out that he was actually the side guy. Damn, see? But that feels good when you find that out, though, Steve. He's, he feels good about himself. He's like, man, I thought I was just some... I was their fat boyfriend, and now I find out I'm the side bitch. I'm the hot side guy, you know? Well I don't think Drew had that same outlook at it. But, uh, <laughs> and also, I'm sure the Browns probably lost that game. This is the Tim Couch era. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. No, you know, maybe. No, they lost. You know, they lost. Steve. 
Unless so they played the Steelers on last week and then they didn't lose. You fucks. This is Tim Couch. They probably lost, bro. <laughs> Sorry. Anywho. But uh, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Ask your sister, can we get our aux cord back? Please make sure to listen to Over the Culture on Sunday, Crush Guys with Kendra on Wednesday, B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve, and Don't Worry, Be Moody with Amanda and Wade. This is Steve G and Maggie with Happening in the 